Welcome to No Cartridge Audio. My name is Trevor Strunk. Hey, go on Twitter. And I am here for a very special episode um, with, uh, well, first off, with uh, with Miss Olivia Broussard. Olivia, hello. Hello, Trevor. <laughs> I'm just going to start calling you Olivia all the time because <laughs> I think that that is very, that like feels extraordinarily formal. Yeah, um, like the, the Miss. <laughs> I think that you should have to acknowledge my married status. <laughs> <laughs> Mar- married online um because I, it, it as 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 many people have noted uh, a girlfriend is a wife and i believe that um how are you Liv? How how's things going oh it's going great this morning thank you wonderful <laughs> <laughs> um you just you got to see some some nuptials last night it's a beautiful day um we are here actually though not to have one of our classic after dark conversations but to talk about a really exciting new game that I know, uh, Liv, you've been excited about for a while. I know frequent guest uh, Dialacina was super excited about this one, too. And I also am very excited about um, Norco. We're here to talk about Norco with two of the devs from Norco, um, Yutz and Jesse. Hey, guys, how's it going? Hello. Doing okay. So first off, um, I know, you know, it's it's... Classically on a podcast, everyone's voice sounds different and everyone knows exactly who's talking, uh, especially on a podcast with a bunch of guys. So mm-hmm. usually this is <laughs> just just kidding. Um, uh, people will confuse our voices, but um, who is Jesse and who is Yetz? Yeah. Hey, this is Yetz. Uh, I this is Jesse. <laughs> nice. Excellent. Um, so, yeah, welcome. Um I think, you know, before I just jump in with questions, and I, I know Liv has a ton too, uh, first, thanks for coming on. And uh, second, uh, maybe just like for people who don't know it, um, can you give a quick sort of, uh, you know, approach or inter- or introduction to to Norco, like what it is? I know my, my co-host, uh, my other co-host, uh, John Bernhardt, said it's a game about vibes, which I think is not true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, no, no shame to John in this, but I don't agree. Uh, but no. perhaps you do. Um, so I, I'm, I'm interested in what, what you guys would say, like, this is to people who aren't aware of it. Yeah, I, um, well, the, the game is rooted in a, in a geography project, a kind of oral history slash geography project that I was doing with a close friend of mine um, in kind of the years after Katrina. And I would say, you know, vibes, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. It's, it's flattering. <laughs> I think vibes are good, um, but <laughs> Fair I, I don't, I don't think that vibes were, uh, kind of the, the, the underlying sort of design <laughs> approach to the game. I think it was much more about geography and a study of landscapes cool. and it, the game is a, a traditional point and click adventure in many ways it gets a little more abstract uh at points but it tries to weave a narrative through these various disparate landscapes of greater new orleans and south louisiana so the mississippi river the uh, lake pontchartrain the outer ring suburbs of new orleans the refineries all of these things um, it tries to construct a narrative that that gives a broad perspective on those landscapes and in some ways how they relate and also how they shape the lives and the personalities of people who live there cool. on top of a bunch of other strange kind of uncanny stuff. 
Would you uh, do you have anything to to add to that, Jesse, or or is that sort of uh, how you how you see it as well? That yeah, I I think Yotel uh, always sums it up very well. It's that is what the project is. That's it, it started from a very personal place uh, for Yutz, and uh, I was brought on later in the project to uh, help out with artwork, and so. I sort of made it my goal to try to just do what I could to meet his vision, basically. Um, it was a really fun way to work, actually. <laughs> yeah, and it, I think to, to that point, I think it did become... And so, unfortunately, um, you know, we have several other members of this this collaborative and um, someone who has also contributed quite a bit, Aaron Gray, who's supposed to be here, but he's having uh, some technical problems and the game especially through covid and the the you know being being in discord together it became a, a you know fairly communal um project in many ways and so kind of what started as a personal project changed shape and and new variables were introduced and things like that that we all had a part in and it became kind of a a, a, a mini-headed story storytelling project that's really cool yeah, it was an interesting approach. I, I think, you know, so much of the plot, characters, etc., um, you know, obviously are very baked in from the beginning. But, um, you know, once a few more people came on board, I mean, I, I don't know. We spent so much time uh, in Discord just sort of, I mean, a lot of the things you see in the game uh, ultimately came from us uh, just sort of riffing on ideas and letting things flow out. Um, you know, I, I was telling Yutz the other day, I was cleaning up uh, like after release and taking all these notes off of my walls and just uh, like looking at <laughs> all of this baddie shit that we had <laughs> come up with in the chat. And, uh, you know, some of it made it in. Some of it's really funny to look back on now. Uh, <laughs> like some of the things we were even considering is very funny. Yeah. But having almost like a flexible kind of scaffolding or framework where, you know, the broader, the broader framework of the game was always in place, but there was so much room to, to hang additional, um, things, vignettes, uh, visual motifs, et cetera, onto it. Um, and a lot of, a lot yeah. of like reexamination too, I feel like where, uh, I think we always tried to stay willing to look at things that, you know, we're already in place and try to decide if we could do them better or if, you know, if we should cut things that were like things that maybe we liked, but maybe shouldn't make it in or, or so on. So th there was always just sort of a nonstop back and forth between all of us. It was really interesting and fun, collaborative way to work. It's really cool. I know you guys described it before we started recording as sort of like a really COVID like very COVID era uh, development. I, I I like the way that that is. It's like also a a cool way of describing like a collaborative approach as well. Like I it's it's absolutely ridiculous and cliche and you know just like all the worst things to say. Like if you think about it, COVID's an opportunity. But um, <laughs> but like it is interesting how it actually did produce something really like hyper specific and fun basically because of that, because you had to had to have that very disparate approach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it was it was very much 
a product or a reflection of its time, the time in which it was made. And the, the, you know, it started originally in 2015, late 2015, um, as a side scroller that was written in JavaScript that was compressing certain ideas that I'd been exploring with, with a friend uh, into a little brief side scroller. And that became the code base and that code base just kept growing and changing and shifting and, and new people came on and, and added a touch and added influence. So it is, you know, I think for some people they'll, they'll look at it and they'll feel, you know, it's too, it's too disparate. Uh, it's too messy, but I mean, this is, that's the kind of media that I actually enjoy the most stuff that's organic stuff. That's messy stuff that can be, you know, unpredictable and at times even frustrating. <laughs> you know, I like, I like wrestling with that kind of stuff and I'm, I'm happy that it has that character. It feels true to the the subject matter too that it's um, you know a land of contradictions in New That's Orleans right. to to have that collaborative uh, storytelling. Yeah, I, yeah, I love that. I mean, I I feel that way as well, and I think so many dimensions of the project are, you know, it's it's almost it tries to give a, a voice to to the landscape, you know, a voice to the landscape that's it, it's exploring, but through the the pixels and the writing and and everything else. Can I ask like um, about the design choices? So like it does look, we haven't touched on this, but it looks very much like, um, I, I don't know, like I've heard people say it's a point and click adventure and mm-hmm. yeah, it, it is, but it it is specifically a point and click adventure that is like reminiscent of a kind of like mid nineties CD-ROM approach mm-hmm. like the the old blade runner game or I, I don't know like i i'm i thinking up examples isn't going to help very much but like it is it almost has like a, a a lucasarts meets a more advanced kind of like technical approach um you even include a crt filter like there's mm-hmm. there's cool stuff in there like what what made you approach it from that style like was there something about that style that spoke to the the thematics of the game or was that just like a was that something that you had in mind beforehand? Yeah, I think, well, the original inspiration was Snatcher, Hideo Kojima's oh, sure. Snatcher. <laughs> and yeah, that's a great game. Yeah, it's, it, it should be clear to um, probably people who have played both games. And Snatcher was attractive at the time, the original kind of inception of the project, because the project was was a game kind of about ideas and that was one of, you know, a text adventure I had played that I felt like had a little bit of di- uh, gameplay diversity. Um, and it also was a format, this kind of visual novel format that could communicate ideas really well, but never felt stale, never felt boring, you know? And so that, that really was the, the origin. And then looking at a lot of the older kind of um, PC 98 and Sega Master System uh, Japanese um, text adventures, vi- visual text adventures, uh, was, you know, was also interesting to look at, but I think the thing about those things is that they're so heavily, um, almost that there is this retro fetishization of that aesthetic. And so I think Norco was an attempt to, to, even though there is a CRT filter, there's a CRT filter because pixel art does in a lot of ways, you know, can, can have just a different look or a different style under a CRT filter. Cause that was created in that for the, that kind of environment, but for sure. Um, but almost like de- trying to 
to use a lot of these more classic approaches to game design and even aesthetics, but de-retrofy them to give them a to give them a more contemporary look and feel um, was, I think, a conscious a conscious thing, a conscious effort. I think I've been following the the art development for so long mm. that you know it was at some point. Um, like a very minimalist color palette mm. and uh, what's kind of reminiscent of for me of pulling stuff out of like uh like a flooded house or something and having that aged look to it and it developed to a place where it has like these very this very lush art style um how did that how did that uh transform yeah it started actually because the snap i mean really it was just ripping off snatcher from the start so like trying to emulate the Sega Master System color palette and just trying to just kind of nail Snatcher's aesthetic as an exercise in learning pixel art. And then, but then slowly increasing the, the color count on the palette and also looking at references from um, mediums outside of pixel art. And that, that process accelerated greatly once uh, Jesse came on because he's a traditional painter. And so, um, oh. Yeah, he you know he he started working in the medium and developed his own style quickly, and I I had to basically catch up and redo a bunch of my work <laughs> to to suit uh, his style until we kind of came to some equilibrium. Sounds like one of those good problems to have. Oh, totally. It's interesting to see like um like five different shots uh, of the the girls with the turtle at the beginning. Like, but you, I've seen them from every angle now. You 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 really are. You've been following the project for a while. Yeah, that's yeah. that's one of those ones where there are these. Uh, I've talked to Jesse about this, but these labored um, pieces where I mean, I've I've redrawn them so many times and they're never quite right. And uh, a, a couple of those I just threw onto his plate, and I'm like, please, just like delete this file and draw it <laughs> and just try it in your own you know interpretation but yeah the the oh i'm sorry just yeah one last thing to the girls is i finally that was like probably the first scene that i drew where i finally drew it and i was like okay i'm done the, the evolution of the pixel art style in the game is done the scene's finished but jesse sorry i cut you off yeah no you're good uh i was just gonna say the uh you know when you were referring to sort of just handing me these older pieces. Um, those pieces were actually some of my favorite to work on in the game um, and points at which I felt like we had achieved a really neat synthesis of uh, both of these styles that had developed um, in tandem. And, you know, going through these old pieces and uh, I... <laughs> we we kind of laughed a lot about it uh, while we were working on them. Like I would uh, send Yutz a screenshot of like some ancient layer from three or four years ago that I had found <laughs> within the file. And I'm like, hey, look. Uh, so there was this sort of almost excavatory process to uh, being able to work, rework some of those old pieces and reinterpret them in my own way. And um, it's, 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 I was really grateful to Yutz for allowing me the freedom to play around basically with all of these uh, older things he had in the game. It was a very unique way of working. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I think that actually, I think that reinforces your metaphor, Liv, which there was the, the flooded house. Um, you know, it, it, they were a flooded house and that there were things buried in there that we only found later by 
increasing the canvas size and things like that. Right. So one of the things that uh, just to sort of like pivot a little bit, but we can get back to to this at any point. Like, please feel free to to just even if you don't want to answer my question, just say like that's boring. I'm going back to the other thing. I'm like totally good <laughs> with that. Uh, Liv, you do that too. Um, but uh, yeah, I think like um, one of the the way you're describing the development of the uh, art makes me think about the way that the actual story is told too, where like the, the, you know, like we were talking uh, beforehand and, and this is absolutely something that comes up. I think every time anyone talks about this, this game uh, that I've seen the kind of like uh, merging of that hyper locality, but also this, this general and like, it, I think what I really love about it is it's not like, I, I wouldn't say like, Oh, it's a general like, like capitalist critique or something. It's like, it's, it's kind of more than that or sort of like a post that where like everyone was doing that for a while and this feels like a different move. Um, but there's like, it feels like, yes, you know, you can kind of hold both things in your hand at the same time. At least I can coming from like a totally different area. I'm from like the Northeast and from around Philadelphia. Like this feels like heavily Louisiana and like for, for like the one, you know, the few times, I guess one time I've been in Louisiana Um but like from whatever I saw there, I'm like, okay, yeah, this this feels right, or like talking to Liv or whatever. Uh, that that feeling of Louisiana totally comes through, and then also it feels sort of like, oh, this is like I can recognize stuff in this that relates to you know the town I grew up in that was you know basically lived and died by the paper mill and the chocolate factory nearby, right? So like it there is the kind of like hyper local and then generally sort of descriptive element. Um, how did that, like, I, I know you said, uh, yes, that this developed from like a personal project, a sort of oral history. How did, like, uh, how did that develop into a sort of more generalized, like, discussion of, I don't know, not to get too broad, but America in the 21st century or 22nd, 23rd? I don't know where the game is actually positioned. Yeah, it's um, the project I'd referred to earlier, which was this oral history project, was looking very specifically at I was looking at flood control infrastructure uh the petrochemical industry um the in southwest louisiana um there's a, a lot of logging and there there historically was a lot of logging and like Pontchartrain in the uh in the early 1900s and a, a lot of the impacts of industry on those things but the game at the same time uh I wasn't interested in telling a didactic story. Um, you know, I, I wanted to show the world in many ways as it is, you know, materially on a material level, but then also on kind of an emotional and a spiritual level. Mm. And, and that, that was an attempt to, to make sense and kind of metabolize these things and come to understand them better it wasn't intended to teach a lesson. It wasn't intended to communicate a position or a prescription or, or anything like that. Because I think especially as we move deeper into the 21st century, the, the nature of truth shifts so much and things become so convoluted and confusing that I think just participating in some kind of um, enterprise of making sense of, of where we're at in this, at this moment of history is something I'm more interested in. And I think that was the, that that's what the project in some ways is trying to do. It's really cool. Um, Liv, you mentioned at some point, uh, this, like, 
um, I, I don't know. Like we were talking about the ways that the game kind of changes over time, right? Like it, it, like actually right before we recorded, we were talking about the ways that like the game, um, makes jumps that you wouldn't expect. Like it, it, it changes course and, and it still feels cohesive and interesting, but like in the way that, uh, Jesse, you and Yutz were talking about the kind of like disconnected, uh, chunky way that like media that you really like kind of almost abstracted way that it works. Um, the game itself, like the narrative is like, <laughs> like it, it, it is, I, not to give anything away before I say spoiler warning and, and tell you to skip ahead, you know, five or 10 minutes or whatever, but it gives, it, it changes a lot from that initial thing. So spoiler warning at this point, uh, if you don't want spoilers for Narcos, but skip ahead like five, 10 minutes, but Liv, you, you, you had some really interesting thoughts about how the game changed from like the beginning to the end. Um, and, uh, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So, uh, would you <laughs> want to talk about that a little bit? Um, I think. You know, even like at the end of the first act, like whenever I start playing the game and there's like weird birds, like weird birds of Louisiana is like one of my just favorite things generally. Like I, I do love the birds here and like, like seeing that, uh, that image of, of the weird birds and like, there's already something kind of eerie going on. Like, what are they responding to? Um, and then like having that be made more explicit explicit at the end of the first act about no these birds are are weird um and just like watching I mean the whole thing about like transformation and like uh, you know I don't necessarily want to talk about like the the end of the game now um (laughs) but like having um those links and uh, yeah just the the whole transformative experience of it I'll also say like I think the this goes into the art a little, and I, I wonder if Jesse, you can speak to this. Like the, I mean, both of you did the art, but <laughs> like I, I'm interested in, in, in like, you know, there's, there are hints throughout, um, that things are like a little deeper than just like a sort of like Bayou story or something like that. Um, not that deeper is the right word, but like things are going on that are outside of it. It has that kind of like fantastical, almost sci-fi or futuristic element to it. Um, and it, I, I really appreciated how that wasn't there were two ways it wasn't conveyed that I thought would have been like maybe a little too on the nose and you guys avoid it, which is like one, you didn't say like it is like 75 years after the collapse or something, which I think mm. is like what everyone does. And then it also wasn't like you didn't start it out with like flying cars or whatever. It looks like a recognizable landscape. The timeline just feels like very kind of like unplaced and in a, in a really productive way. Um, I wonder like, how did you, how does the art respond to that kind of like not rootlessness, but like difficulty uh, in, in placement? Like the fact that like that intentional difficulty that you make the player kind of keep guessing about, well, what's going on here? What is, what does society look like? Who are these people? Is, is this normal? What I'm seeing things like that. It keeps them sort of uncomfortable through the game. How did that, how did that come through in the art style? Um, Forgive me, I'm going to digress a little bit here, but I, I think oh, uh, I think it's sort of, in my mind anyway, um, the way I got involved in this project uh, was Yutz hit me up to do the key art, um, gosh, over a year ago now, and I had followed his work online uh, for a number of years. Um, I'd also known his sister for a while, who is also... Uh, part of the project as well to some degree and uh long story short he got a hold of me i for years had been doing uh just 
I guess what could be loosely classified as like dark fantasy paintings, more or less. Um, And so when he got hold of me to do the artwork, I, I was very jazzed, but also a little confused because I didn't really see what our styles had in common other than uh, like a through line of sort of general weird malaise, I guess. But as we <laughs> as we talked more and more, uh, I, I remember we had a, at least one or two uh, real good phone conversations in the beginning. Um, and even at that point, uh, the things he was telling me about his characters, his world, um, made it clear very quickly that there was something strange bubbling under the surface of it all. Um, and I, I think that led to a wider examination of um, uh, just continuing to look at mundane aspects of the world, uh, but in maybe more of an enchanted way, um, but also yeah. trying not to beat people over the head with... Uh, you know, here, here's some weird shit, you know, um, <laughs> it's like to a, to a degree, it's like, you know, I, I love working that stuff in, uh, just because, but also, you know, you, you go overboard with it and it, it's just going to seem goofy. So the idea of trying to keep it grounded, um, but also sort of slowly weirding the thing as it goes on, um, was very, very appealing to me. Um, and I think some of that have, I mean, we, we'd gone back to older pieces and worked in little bits of things from the late game that were not there before and so on. And so it's slowly but surely, I think we just sort of uh, tried to build the environments in a way that felt, you know, if, if you have the feeling that something is going on underneath what you are immediately presented with, then... Uh, in most cases, you're right. You just, you know, it's not sitting right there out in the open all the time. Right, right. I think it's interesting that it it does like have, it spiritualizes some things, but then some things feel despiritualized. Like, yes. um, as far as, I'm, I'm not sure if this was conscious because it's, wasn't named, but like for me, there was like, uh, you know, a scene that there was, uh, spontaneous combustions in a swamp. Um, and it, it's, attributed to the to the refinery but there's like the the folklore about the fufile and and cajun folklore which are these will-o'-the-wisp swamp spirits um and it feels like a despiritualization of that folklore but then that there there is an added layer onto stuff that feels more mundane yeah absolutely i well i think it does um well i think jesse used probably the most helpful term which is enchantment and i've heard this term used re-enchantment quite a bit just in the last few months and over the course of um lockdown basically is that there seems to be some kind of shift or reorientation towards faith that's happening um at least inside of my filter bubble and that it that that bled into the game in in a variety of ways, one of which being kind of the visual language, which I feel like the kind of visual language of the game, the visual motifs are 
kind of what Jesse's saying are they're threaded throughout the game. And I think with some of the pieces Jesse worked on at the end of the third act, his more his more bizarre and experimental uh, fan- fantasy um, tendencies by by the end were were kind of just set loose uh and i think jesse you had free reign over a couple pieces that that resemble more your hand painted stuff but i feel like we had built towards that gradually um in a way that that for me at least works and is interesting but returning to the re-enchantment thing is is i think that there is an element of both the the kind of the like you said the de-spiritualization of of things through through just mat- cold material analysis, but then also that those that it's a contested space and that things are always there are people always trying to pull that that materiality back into a world of the spiritual, um, and that that contestation is happening in the game a bit, um, and that people are kind of grappling with their faith and what faith play what what role faith plays in a world that it, that is where truth is kind of collapsing. Mm. That's really interesting because the, you know, the way that faith kind of represents itself in the game from the beginning, right? The fact that like the Virgin Mary statue is there and is treated as like, not as a joke, but like as like a serious icon, but then has like the, I don't feel this is a spoiler. This happens in like the first 10 minutes has the, the drive behind its head, right? Like the, the, it mm-hmm. has like a, a very technical thing. I mean, that, that sort of speaks to one level of, you know, the, the, the sort of like, um, you know, profaning of the, of, of the, you know, holy with mm-hmm. the material. Right. Um, but also like, it's a very serious thing. Like you can, in the, in the first little bit, like, there's an option, like a, a dialogue option where you can say like, you know, you were upset. So you, and one of the things you could do was pray. And it's like, you held the the crucifix and prayed and like faith is really treated super seriously in this game. Not as like a, 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 a kind of like, not as a punchline or as a referent to like, Oh, look how different the world is than what it is now. Um, that is, that, that is something that I, I don't think I would have picked up on unless you said it right there. And I am, I'm like rethinking some parts of the game now because I haven't, I, I wasn't thinking about it that way. Yeah, there, there is. And from the beginning, there was kind of an underlying um, thematic nod to um, Christianity and Catholicism more specifically um, because, because faith is, is so embedded in the landscape. And, you know, I grew up in, in the river parishes outside New Orleans, went to a Catholic school, um, that my, my personal perspective and the way that I viewed that landscape was through, you know, before anything else, um, was viewed through that frame. And I think in a, in a lot of ways is a, you know, is a perfectly valid way of kind of reading the landscape of reading events that unfold that are in many ways, you know, explicitly almost on the nose biblical that occur in New, in New Orleans and greater New Orleans and South Louisiana, you know, um, floods, I was going to say swarm, <laughs> swarms of swarms of cicadas, um, things like that, you know? So I mean, it's like, it's almost like silly how biblical Louisiana can be. And so I think, I think reading, reading a landscape in biblical terms or reading the landscape through, through, a, a that kind of framing is, I found it to be helpful. Mm. 
So um, I'm curious, kind of building off of the idea of, you know, inspiration and, and, and ways of seeing things, especially that idea of lenses, right? Like that's a, it's a really powerful way. I think of, of like understanding media in general as this way or aesthetic production in general as this way of kind of like um, layering on one's own kind of filters onto a world and then conveying that to someone else. Um, I wonder about like, your inspiration. So obviously Snatcher, right? But like also other things that that inspired you in the making of this game. Like I kept I kept seeing things that I was like, oh, it's like this or it's like that. Uh, I was saying to live like I was constructing this question as I went because I didn't want to hyper determine it or anything or over determine it. But like, I wonder, are there other video games that you find as like, you know, aesthetic or narrative points of reference or and I mean, this is more of an and than an or do you feel like you're you know, building, do you feel like Norco slots into something like a, a tradition or is it doing its own sort of new thing? Like, do you think about the game that way? Or is it more just like, I don't know, extempore kind of coming out of, out of, out of the ether. Um, How do you, how do you sort of uh, see yourself within that lineage? Well, I see, uh, I, I see a lot of conversation or about Kentucky Route Zero as, as it relates to Norco. That was one, um, yeah, and, yeah, for sure. And, uh, and you know, I, people say it in, in both disparaging terms, like we're trying to ape Kentucky Route Zero, or they say it in flattering terms, like, oh, you'll love it. It's like Kentucky Route Zero. And just for kind of a complete insight into that, I, I several years ago, played the first 20 minutes of the first um, chapter or act of Kentucky Route Zero. I thought it was very beautiful. Um, didn't get too far into it. I had already been writing the script for Norco at that point. Um, and it did, it did instill certain things for sure. Like I got far enough to see, um, when you're driving on the highway on, uh, in the first act and you, you enter into these, these textual interaction interactions that are Mm -hmm. just purely text on the screen. Um, I, I saw that and I was like, okay, there is kind of a tolerance or an appetite for this. And, and that's really good because this is something I want to do and something I want to explore because text is such an important part of Norco. Um, but as far as the style, um, the way it was written, the themes, things like that, um, that was not an influence. I'd, I'd <laughs> already been kind of uh, writing and thinking about these things by that point. And you know, so, it, it, it makes sense because, like, just to just to kind of jump in, like, it it is this way that, uh, like, I was I was playing the game and thinking, like, wow, it sort of reminds me of Kentucky Route Zero, and then I was like, is that mm-hmm. just because like Kentucky Route Zero is the other like text based game that's in the South and it has a gas station? Uh, like, sort of started thinking <laughs> yeah, about it. Yeah, and it has I was a gas station. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was playing and I was like, yeah, no, like there are similarities in that like they're both text-based games and they're both dealing with sort of like existential questions and stuff, but mm-hmm. they, they really aren't the same game. Like I, I feel like the, the relationship, like the fact that there's like a mother daughter relationship or a mother child relationship mm-hmm. in, in general going on in as, as the center kind of like, you know, one of the central uh, problems in, um, in Norco makes it immediately different. And the fact that it's also like, cares about Louisiana as opposed to Kentucky, right? Like that's another way that I was like, am I, I'm, I'm just doing the Northern thing of flattening like the whole South into, <laughs> into a model. Well, no, I mean, I think, I think it's, 
obviously it's a, it's it's a really helpful comparison to people, and I totally respect that. I don't want to move. I don't want to move away from it. And I don't want to minimize it. Um, I really just want to be honest about kind of what to what degree it it relates to the project. And I think it relates minimally, but I do think that Norco is part nonetheless of this. I think I've said it in another interview, but basically um, this kind of re this emerging exhaustion almost with the, the internet or something where this, this overly globalized, o overly virtualized experience is, is so exhausting to people that I think it's manifesting as these more regionally specific, more kind of um, concrete uh, regional explore exploration. So I think it is part of a, a, ten a tendency um, in games. But I think, too, it's the reason that it can be detrimental, the comparison can be detrimental, and I've tried to discourage, or not discourage people, but I've tried to promote Just imagine you sending tweets, like, please don't make this comparison. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's because it is misleading, and I've seen this happen with people where they play through Norco, and they're like, well, that wasn't the experience I was looking for, because they came in you know, with kind of an a priori uh, expectation that it would resemble uh, Kentucky Route Zero. And Norco really does deviate very, very much from even the first act. Oh, um, dramatically, yeah. And it's not yeah. like, it's not a, you know, you aren't doing a, um, you aren't doing a, a uh, it's not magical realism. Like, that's the other yeah. thing, right? Like, uh, Kentucky Route Zero, I love Kentucky Route Zero. I, I mm -hmm. you know, I wrote about it. I, it's a wonderful game. But it's, it's, Magical realism, it's not the same thing. Um, and yeah, I think like that was what was so difficult, or like actually, no, that's not true. Difficult's the wrong word. That was what was so rewarding for me about playing Norco at the beginning was having my expectations kind of like undone and realizing like, oh, I'm making a lot of assumptions that I honestly didn't know I was making. And the game isn't like, it's not like a, a gotcha thing where it's like, oh, you just like, it doesn't make you feel bad about it or anything, but it, it, it is sure. like real food for thought, I thought. Yeah, no, it's, it is really interesting. And I think it's, it's like there's there's a big discussion to be had about it, and I've seen some really interesting takes on it. And I um, yeah, I, I don't want to I don't want to uh, really cast any kind of judgment on it because I do think there's something there. But I think because I'm kind of at the center of it as a creator, I can't really provide the most helpful insight. I know Jesse, you played it to completion, so you probably have some interesting thoughts on this. I, yeah, I, I did. Um, I think, I mean, that was a game I uh, had been interested, interested in as it was coming out, but I, uh, I never played it in full until, uh, you know, the console version came out. Um, and I think I played that, um, probably about a year ago, like last spring. Um, and it is, I, I I love that game. I I I love it. What can I say? But um, I I it it didn't really cross my mind at any point to say like let's let's try to ape that in any way. And I I think being I mean don't get me wrong. I I'm completely flattered that people are even lumping our weird little game in with something that feels as uh, huge and accomplished as that project. But um. You know, as far as the style of the game and where it come from came from, uh, I it, it felt like a pretty insular process. I, I I think at one point we also joked that like uh, Route Zero makes 
our game look like a pulp thriller or something. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that is very true. I mean, yeah, the kind of tempo. And I think that's where maybe some people, their expectations are, they feel that their expectations are, are violated or something when they start to... Because, Nor- I mean, Norco really, in more ways than one, resembles Snatcher and was always kind of meant to. Because Snatcher has a, a kind of tempo a kind of rapid tempo and sort of a more rapid acceleration in its uh, narrative construction. And that was always something that, you know, Norco was intended to have that as well. It was supposed to be quick, tight, you know, and, mm. and, and move, move relatively quickly. Yeah. And there, you know, we, there are ideas in the game, of course, but it's not, uh, it's not open or soft or ponderous really. I feel like, um, I don't know with the script. I think you did a good job of keeping it feeling pretty tight and punchy, uh, despite how out there it goes at some points. And uh, I've, I've seen some people express disappointment with um, where the game ends up going uh, as compared to the first third or half or whatever. But um, I, I don't know. I, I feel pretty good about the story we made. I like that it has an ending. I like that you guys like, ended it in like a clear way i feel like most pulp like stuff has like that easy out where they're just like and it was real. like i mean even true detective which you lampoon at the beginning which is was great uh i love true detective but still great to lampoon it um you know like uh the the fact that it was like it was like yeah you know uh at the end of that it was like yeah maybe maybe the real killer is god and it's like that's not helpful like what are you talking? the fact that the fact that it had an ending was really great yeah it has well you know it's funny it's there are um maybe like i'm starting to see emerge and it's interesting to watch is like people's reactions um depending on if they've never even heard the game heard of the game before because you know they don't approach it with any kind of indie game baggage and seem to just be <laughs> bewildered and enjoy it um but yeah i think the so the ending uh i've i've heard a a lot of takes on the ending um all all very kind of gracious even even when critical um in the ending i think it does wrap things up uh it, it concludes but and a lot of um more conclusive aspects of the narrative are actually hidden. They're a little more hidden in the ending where you have to kind of go around the final environment and speak to people in order to find out what happened or what might happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, the the actual epilogue of the game is embedded in a scene near the end. So you have to, and it's conditionally available. And so you have to, you have to find the epilogue basically. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. a lot of things are kind of folded, folded in to the ending and the ending is meant to be uh, navigable, but you won't just be handed it, and and it's still uh, it's not it's not trying to answer all of the questions that it asks as well, which I know I know can be frustrating, and and I I sympathize with that. Yeah, it's funny because in even in media that I, uh, you know, that I'm watching, reading, whatever, um, the the inherent uh, pull of mystery i guess is something that has always greatly excited me and it's like it's uh you know finding that balance of leaving it open enough to feel intriguing and like you want more um but also not having it feel like a 
uh, oh, it was all a dream, like cop out sort of thing. You know, it's uh, something we definitely tried to zero in on pretty hard. So uh, mm. it won't work for everyone, of course, but um, yeah, I, I think we're happy with it. Nice. Beyond video games, um, we were briefly talking before the show, you know, just that I had been following this game for a long time because I had never really seen any, definitely any video games like set in, in South Louisiana that felt um, real, that felt truthful. And what are your uh, references or, or media that you, you feel like have been truthful to, to Louisiana or is creating this the first time that you feel like it's really been represented in a way that you agree with? No, I think there's a lot. Um, it, I'm, I have so much trouble with proper nouns, so I may not be able to list them all here, but I do think there's a lot of literature that's been written, um, both fictional and non-fictional about Louisiana that, um, you know, that, that regional literature was helpful. Um, I actually have, I have it sitting by my desk right here. And, uh, so Frank Davis, the, the news reporter, I think he passed away maybe like, yeah, I can't, I, I don't remember exactly when it was, but, um, he wrote a book called the fisherman's tackle box Bible. <laughs> That is, that's just a fishing book. It's, it's got anecdotes and tips about fishing around greater New Orleans. Oh, it's so cool. And I, I love this book. And, and I think Frank Davis is just a very uh, interesting person. And, you know, so there's a lot of more what you might call folk literature or something mm -hmm. uh, that you just find that I'll find in my dad's garage or wherever. And, and all of that stuff is is an accurate representation it's an organic representation of the region um and then also zines you know a lot of people wrote zines after katrina that were that were just personal accounts of evacuation and things like that and then that gave more of these personal insights into the region into the city into what life in post katrina new orleans was like um and then there's yeah, there, there, and then, you know, there are not specifically about Louisiana, um, but but regional writers, like either whether it be Faulkner or Cormac McCarthy or, or others who provide some kind of template or, or, or means of writing from the landscape, from almost from the perspective of the landscape, you know, having having those to refer to is helpful as well. So yeah, there's kind of just a constellation of media uh, for, for me personally that was really helpful in constructing the game or, or kind of mapping out what it could be. Faulkner is a fantastic reference point for this, I think. Mm -hmm. like It helps me understand a lot of what's going on here. Uh, not that like I'm saying everyone should go out and read Faulkner before you play Norco. It's like, <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to do that. But uh but being a fan myself of Faulkner, that's like, mm -hmm. that's super helpful. Like it actually, it helps me sort of situate the game within also just my understanding of like, okay, you know, like there's, there's a lot going on in, in Norco that reminds me of, um, reminds me of like, um, night in the woods as well. Um, including the kind of like critique of the ending, even, um, the mm -hmm. fact that both had an ending that was very, that was a choice and people either loved it or hated it, but both like, the way that they engage with um, 
I mean, specifically Norco, the way it engages with plantations is extraordinarily Faulknerian. and I am like embarrassed. I missed that. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, just like the way that it deals with like dec- decay, but also beauty is that like that absolutely coalesces for me there. That's that's really interesting. Also, just like the one of my favorite scenes is like whenever you're like at the refinery and then suddenly you're at this like uh, masquerade, like it's just mm. like that that difference um, between like this like hyper like almost like Mardi Gras-esque like uh, energy um, with the the decay of the of the refinery is very interesting. Yeah, and that's actually Kay's timeline. You know, time, I think y'all brought it up earlier in some capacity, but time has a special quality in Norco. Um, it's the time is the time frame is a little loose and malleable and dates kind of move around and change and it's not exactly clear what year the game takes place in and it's not exactly clear what temporal relationship Catherine's death has to Kay's timeline, etc. And that's kind of by design, but in within that ambiguous um, time that Kay's timeline takes place, it is early Mardi Gras season. Mm. Um, oh, okay. And and so that that masquerade ball is in fact a kind of a carnival party. And then that's towards the end of the game, without spoiling anything, you attend an event where a lot of people are costumed up, and that's because you know all um, like as you might be familiar with live if you're kind of downtown or in the ninth ward or something, and you're um, it's around Mardi Gras time. You're just gonna have a bunch of people in costumes. People just kind of like start partying and celebrating in all of their various weird ways pretty early. And so, you know, a bunch of punks who are dressed up in weird paper mache costumes is not, is something you might see in the New Orleans landscape around Mardi Gras time that gets incorporated into the game as well. So there's all these small nods to carnival season that happened throughout Kay's timeline. Hmm. I'm interested in, um, in the ways that you, you reference, Louisiana like specifically like things that if you're not from here you're just not going to pick up on and it's not necessarily like important that you know what a go cup is or that you know who Morris Bard is that you're familiar (laughs) with these like um you know lawyer billboards everywhere uh but it's you know it's it's very fun to see as someone from here Mm -hmm. was there anything that was like one of those like flavor elements that you had thought of for the game, but like weren't able to implement in a way that service the narrative for you or I wanted, I wanted more lawyer billboards. Like I wanted to kind of hit them all in the game <laughs> and even like have a steam achievement where you would like get a steam achievement for unlocking all of the various uh, lawyer billboards of greater new Orleans, but DLC baby. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. <laughs> DLC. Maybe we'll hit that. But so that was one, but yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things that, weren't even necessarily self-conscious and people only pointed them out afterwards. Some of them were self-conscious, some of them weren't, but, you know, I think the game is rooted. I was writing it, uh, while living in mid city. Um, and that, that was, you know, there was one year in particular where the pumping stations had failed and my truck took two feet of water and I couldn't get a settlement from the city. And there were all of these frustrating things. And then, you know, there were evacuations that happened in the meantime and all of these things and all of that stuff was 
just filtering directly into the script. And so you were it, the skater. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And so I um so all of that, you know, a lot of what gets referred and a lot of little nods are weren't always entirely self-conscious. But yeah, I'm trying to think of one in particular where I'm like, hope somebody notices this. I mean, it's probably honestly, and it's one that other people have pointed out, but the book that's sitting in Kay's room that describes the timeline of kind of quasi-disaster tourism that happens mm -hmm. uh, after Katrina, mm -hmm. or, or at least is based on that experience, because I think it's one that, you know, people have discussed privately quite a bit. I've, I've, I've never seen the conversation um, elevated, although, you know, I have limited visibility here, so I could be wrong, but um, it's one that I hope other people who are familiar with the region understand what it means. They understand the meaning of that text. The the fact that it, this came out like the week that like a major tornado hit New Orleans too. I was like, oh That's wow, right. this is so timely. But it's like <laughs> there's always going to be something timely happening to New Orleans <laughs> increasingly. The truth, um, yeah, totally. I, I think too. Now that you're mentioning that about the disaster tourism is something that was you know a positive thing uh, as far as like mutual aid here was like the Cajun Navy, like whenever Baton Rouge had terrible floods in 2016 was like, you know, all these people from Lafayette came with their boats to, to help people in Baton Rouge. But now it's like become this, this thing beyond it's like a, like a, a thin blue line of, of the Cajun Navy <laughs> <laughs> like that. It's become this like macho thing built up that I feel like yeah. uh, there's this like relationship between the the people who live here in disaster that is um, understandably not very healthy. Uh, mm. And I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's really, yeah. The, the Cajun Navy thing is interesting and how um, basically the way the, the various ways that we relate to disaster in the region that some people move there specifically because it's precarious. And I think you see an increasing number of people who are kind of, hyper mobile tech workers and things like that, who it's almost like a, um, a boast or something that, that you can just move here and you can just live here in this precarious place because you're so, it's so easy for you to move somewhere else if something were to occur and you have roots elsewhere. And so that precarity doesn't impact you so much. And then there are other people who obviously their entire family is there, all of their every resource that they have is there and it's a different kind of relationship to disaster. And then there's people who are, who, um, because of the, the, you know, we, we live in a world of images where it's, it's very Instagrammable to take pictures of this kind of decay and to celebrate it, um, in its own way. And so then there are people who just find it very, a very photogenic reason, uh, region for that reason. And so, yeah, I think just studying disaster and people's relationship to it in, in New Orleans is really interesting. And uh, unfortunately, you might hear in the background, uh, the natives are, uh, my children, are getting restless <laughs> in my house, uh, which uh, cool. is, is partly, I have to go, it's time for my daughter's birthday lunch. So, uh, but any, any, any last, I know, right? It's pretty, pretty good reason to go. Uh, but any, any last thoughts, any, anything uh, you guys felt we didn't get to, or uh, obviously, Go by Norco. It's on Steam uh, and, and and everywhere. I think, but uh, but yeah, go by Norco. Uh, play it, please. It's it's good. Very very good. I'm 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 a big fan. 
Um, but anything that, that you guys thought we didn't get to, or you wanted to just like quick, quick hit before we wrap up. Jesse, I've been talking a while. I don't know. No, I, I can't think of anything pressing, uh, other than to say thank you for having us on. And, uh, if anyone listening has played or is considering playing it, um, thank you very much too. It's all, uh, felt very surreal to see this thing that we'd been hunkered down on for a while, uh, finally take shape. And, uh, now people are playing it and it's just totally wild to me. So thank you. <laughs> Liv, any final yeah. thoughts? No, just thank y'all for, for coming on. It's, um, you know, it was a, a pleasure to play. It was, uh, and this conversation only, um, has me thinking more about it as, as if I could. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to re rethink some things. I, it's definitely a game that you can return to and that I'm like excited to, um, return to the first act, knowing the, the full trajectory of the game and, and, re-examining something so yeah thank y'all for for joining us today yeah it was a game that i i was super happy i was super looking forward to my second playthrough about halfway through my first so uh getting to talk (laughs) with you about it has just made that more so yeah really really appreciate it cool thank y'all so much oh where can people follow you people if people want to know more about norco or more about you guys yeah uh robotic geo on twitter or geography of robots on instagram cool jesse do you have any places people can follow um yeah, for the game, okay, uh, no. just Robotic Geo. I, I have a personal Instagram, too, but I'm not too concerned about that as far as the game goes. So. <laughs> pit, pit, of, put pit underscore of underscore bones on uh, Instagram, and you should check out his hand-painted art. It's incredible. Uh, thank yeah, you. No. thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's what friends do. It's pitching, you know, plugging your friends. That's like... that. That's what it's about. He's been the wind beneath my wings this whole time. <laughs> um... I'm still at Hagelbahn. You can still buy my book. It's called Story Mode. It's out everywhere. Um, and Liv, you are at AV Club, A-V-E-Y Club. Anything else that you would like to pitch? Not at all. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> uh, just, your, just your lovely self. Uh, and thanks, everyone. And we'll see you again uh, soon. Thanks, y'all. Oh. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to No Cartridge. If you'd like to support us further, please consider going to patreon.com slash no cartridge or for a one-time donation, paypal.me slash Hegelbon, H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. It's really, really helpful for all of us to be able to support uh, the many people who make the show, uh, you know, myself included, but also our producers and various co-hosts um, and, and writers and artists. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe, share, any of those things that would let other people get the quality video game analysis that you've grown accustomed to.